Hey there, welcome to episode 53 of Inbound Agency Journey. I'm Andrew, and I'm so excited to have you here today. Today, I've got a very cool conversation to share with you between Kevin Barber, who's the owner-founder of Lean Labs, and myself. We chat all things about slow and steady growth at their agency, and then really digging into growth-driven design, how Kevin and their team form and structure client expectations prior to kickoff, some great, great insight about some processes and systems that they've put in to help make sure that clients know what they need to provide in order to get the most out of a client relationship. So I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. Kevin's a great guy and he shares some awesome insight in this interview. So without further ado, here we go. Welcome to Inbound Agency Journey. This is the show where inbound agency leaders share the strategies, shortcomings, and successes they've experienced in their journey toward building their dream agency. Now, here are your hosts, Andrew and Gray. Hey, Kevin. Welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you here today. Uh, do you want to kick us off by just sharing with listeners a little bit about the Lean Lab story and where you guys have come from? Sure. So my name is Kevin Barber, and... Uh, Thanks for having me here, Andrew. I'm really looking forward to this. But uh, And I'm from uh, Lean Labs, and that's lean-labs.com. And uh, the background of our agency is uh, I started, um, you know, actually started freelancing in 2002, building out websites, uh, and uh, decided I needed some help about six months into it. Hired a developer. Year after that, hired a designer and found myself having, like, you know, tiny little agency, right? Uh, and we did a lot of web apps, so web web based you know development um, for a lot of years for and about ten years, uh, largely focused on the app development side more so than a whole lot of design or marketing um, and, and uh, that that 's kind of my roots of it um, and then you know we can kind of go into that story but uh, in, in two thousand and thirteen we decided to to reboot ourselves into lean labs and uh and and the rest is history i'm sure we'll i'm sure we'll dive into that just a little bit <laughs> what what led to to that sort of transition into you know the new lean labs there cool so um a couple of things so in late 2012 i moved from kansas city to costa rica and uh you know a lot of different reasons for that but you could sum it up as to i wanted to have a little bit more control of uh how i spent my time and 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 a little bit of control of you know how, just the environment around us and kind of go back to basic roots in terms of family you know family focus type things uh and at the same time i found that it gave me a lot more time to think about what i wanted to do uh with a business and uh at that point, uh, maybe I had a little pre-midlife crisis. I wasn't very pleased with where the business was at. Uh, if I can just call it as it is, over a 10-year period, I had built a few success stories and a lot of mediocre websites. Um, gotcha. And I was kind of sick of building out sites that were pretty cool, but they had zero plan to go to market. Um, so you know, the only people that saw them like – you know, basically had their own last name, <laughs> you know, like you, you know, their, their reach of who they could send their site to was, was, was minuscule. And, uh, and then it kind of voids out all of the work. Um, I was getting pretty, pretty tired of that. And that's when I started looking for, okay, if I'm going to do websites for small brands and startups, like they're going to have a marketing plan and maybe I should just be part of that. And that's when I started looking and actually found HubSpot, 
um, and uh, thought, man, we should just bring on content marketing, inbound marketing it was our thinking at the time. And maybe not everyone will do it, um, you know, need it. But uh, but if if they're one of those sites that's leading us towards one of those mediocre success stories uh, because they have no marketing plan, maybe we can help fill that need. Nice. I mean, I love. I mean, I love the approach or just the thought process there of looking back on yourself and just being honest with the types of results that you have been, that you were seeing and like, what are the things that need to change in order to get us where we want to go? So when, when you joined up with HubSpot, what did that walk through that transition period? Now you've gone from Kansas city down to Costa Rica. Um, what sort of business changes are happening through this period? Uh, a lot of business changes. Um, in order to get where I decided I wanted to be, um, and I, I kind of charted out a five-year plan for that, uh, the same way I, when I first launched my agency, started out a five-year plan, took seven, but I'd call that a win, you know, close <laughs> enough. Um, and, uh, and, and I basically decided I needed uh, a, two pretty big things. I needed all, a whole new team, and I needed all new clients. So... Um, as a result, in 2013, I discontinued my relationships with everyone I was working with, and over the course of two years, also did that with all of my clients. So uh, we're basically like a reboot. We basically rebooted the whole thing. The only thing that remained actually was me. <laughs> so I wow. uh, started all over. So was that when you started over? Is that how did you how did you begin to build things back up? What where how have you built the team up since that point gotcha so um our first first focus was on ourselves so we started doing inbound on ourselves we launched a brand new domain with zero domain authority um you know lean labs and um and really focused on what we were going to do different and how we were going to you know bring the kinds of things i was bringing to some of our really great success stories how was i going to bring that to every single project and say no to the people that that weren't really a fit for what we're able to do well, right? And um, and, and so in doing that, um, it, it was a little bit of a challenge. The first uh, six months, it was really just foundation. So getting a team in place, getting structure in place, understanding roles, uh, basic, um, you know, the basic ground, you know, stuff. Uh, and quite frankly, I was servicing all of my uh, existing clients at that time, getting ready to start training. Uh, that's what we did first. Uh, the second thing we did that was really helpful is uh, at the time we we were able to uh, th throw a guest blog post up to HubSpot uh, that they really liked, so they published it. Um, and uh, I, I realized that sometimes that's only tiered partners now, but at the time we were able to squeeze that through. And, uh, and we learned a whole lot through that experience. Uh, basically, uh, working with Al Badriki, uh, you know, we got we got hundreds of leads um, from one blog post, and uh, that seeded some domain authority. And then, luckily, that blog post got shared quite quite a bit. It did. Uh, we maybe had just a little bit of luck. <laughs> we got that shared across some domains, uh, and then it, we started getting some of our existing posts shared. So I guess you know we 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 kind of had a little bit of a help out of the gate. Um, so you know we're in a couple months in, and you know we had you know four or five hundred leads. Um, you know, and we were able to, you know, a couple people were kind of raising their hands of being interested in talking. So we did pick up a few clients, you know, right, you know, pretty much right away. Uh, and, you know, that's basically 
you know, that's basically good because at, at about that time I was also starting to discontinue a lot of my older um, relationships with, with brands that just, they weren't, we weren't doing the work that we wanted to do anymore. You know? Gotcha. Oh, I know what you mean. Now, when a lot of agencies go through that transition period, there's like, there's the pruning of the old clients going out. How, how did you shift from an operational perspective and maybe looking back on it now, you have some additional insights to it, but when you shifted from ditching those old clients to adding these new ones that the more of the profile that you wanted, how did your internal operations need to change or do you wish they changed differently? What did that transformation look like? Yeah. Uh, every single thing changed. So I gave all of my clients six month terms that way. No one could say that I, you know, they they got uh, you know put in a tough spot or anything. I'm like six from, months from now, we're either going to be doing this new thing or we're not going to be working together, you know. And uh, and then as, for internally, um, we did we we went out with new team. We went looking for new process. Uh, now I've been running a Scrum based system for development for a long time, and actually made a mistake. Uh, and I jumped into kind of the workflow of another agency for about a year, uh, thinking that inbound had it to be different. Um, and that was a mistake, and, and we corrected that mistake. It just didn't fit us and the lean approach that we had take to everything. So actually re- re- utilizing a scrum methodology and sprint-based work is actually what we're back to now, um, you know, after, after kind of taking a detour that, that we found out just wasn't quite us. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that. I mean, that's painful when you go through that period of discovery, and you you do something for that long, and then you realize that you know it's not really cutting it for you, and you have to make a change to it. Um, so, how has now that you're operating on the Scrum system again? What is has that changed a lot of your internal processes, specifically as you've continued to scale and grow your team? Yes. So the truth of the matter is, is we were doing good work, right? under that other process, but it was very painful. Okay. Uh, it was just painful. Um, I don't think it was too painful to clients. Um, the, I think the only thing they saw was some delays as we started to wrap up projects, uh, but painful to us. And we were, we're definitely wasting some time and energy. Um, and we tried switching over to, um, you know, we, we tried to solve the problem in, in platform. So we switched from Jira over to teamwork, thinking that a simpler platform may be better for us. Uh, and we did that for a few months and, and figured out that wasn't quite for us either. Um, had some gains, but had some real setbacks. And what we kind of realized is we had to kind of pull back and, and really think about how we were going to be effective month after month. And that really launched us right back into this Scrum methodology, right? And, uh, and we ended up changing tools one more time after immense research <laughs> uh, to, to this tool, Liquid Planner, uh, because it works with the way that we want to do work. Okay. So, uh, so now, you know, our process is entirely baked into this tool called Liquid Planner. And we basically plan out each month's, you know, priorities. And then we break that down into weekly sprints um, around every single client. And then we set this up in a way that, uh, you know, the tasks are, are doled out accordingly. We can see whether we're ahead or behind, you know, timeline-wise, budget-wise. Um, and, you know, clients have full transparency into the pro- progress of, of their stuff through some dashboards that we've created. And now, all of a sudden, you know, everyone knows where everything is at, uh, you know, more or less. <laughs> but, uh, but everyone knows where to go to get it if they have a question. And, and all of a sudden, our process starts to feel like it's clicking. Nice. That's awesome. It's, I mean, I think we hear this all the time talking to agencies is 
people are looking and looking and looking for tools, but it's really the process and the framework that you put into that tool. The tool is just the whiteboard. You know, you need to put in the framework to make it operational. So to have something where you guys have a system and you have a tool that can support that system and you're continuing to grow in that manner, that's fantastic. Yeah. The the, the thing that we found is that the tool has to support the workflow. So we were trying to log all of our tasks into a, you know, a a to-do list type of thing, but it didn't work. It didn't address the way we were actually working. And when you have that disconnect, I mean, I, I think that we tried to work around it for, for, you know, a few too many months, but we just had to embrace it. This is not right. Like the, the tool is not, you know, working with the way that we want to work. Yeah. Those things have to be in alignment. How now, when you're in Costa Rica now, so is your, is your entire team remote or how are you collaborating on these projects? Yeah, so uh, we're entirely virtual. So um, I'm writing a little ebook now, uh, Building a Virtual Paradise. And it's going to talk about um, kind of the benefits of having a virtual team and virtual clients and, you know, and maybe what a couple of the negatives are, but, uh, but you know, it's going to focus on the positives. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and anyways, I've always been that way. Um, I've always been that way. Um, I, I, I did have a developer that was 30 minutes from me for about five years and, and we met, uh, three times, <laughs> um, you know, during that time. So I've always been strongly virtual. Uh, our team right now is Seattle, um, Texas, um, and the UK for some of our principals. And then there's two of us in Costa Rica. Kind of funny because, uh, most of us started off in either Kansas or Missouri, <laughs> and now we're basically all over. And, and none of us are in uh, – I'm sorry, it was Kansas or Oklahoma. And, and none of us are in Kansas or Oklahoma anymore. <laughs> so uh, so we've really kind of all in, in, gone our different ways. Um, and uh, our design and dev team is all out of the UK. Um, and, uh, it, and you know, basically our inbound team is all um, in the States uh, or in Costa Rica. And uh, that's our setup. Dang, that's awesome. So um, you guys are – you're a HubSpot Gold partner now. Um, you are very active in the growth-driven design space, that movement. Can you – what is your what is your client portfolio look like right now? Are you working on project work, retainer work? How is, how is that balance looking for you guys? Gotcha. So here's kind of the, uh, the deal. We started off doing a lot of project-based work because we had – the design and dev component strong first, and we had to ramp up on inbound. So initially, we were doing all project-based work um, with an inbound, you know, add-on. Right? Uh, then we transitioned to where we were only really starting to do projects if it was an inbound engagement. Um, and then with the, you know, coming about of growth-driven design and that becoming a, a real, uh, you know, table stake of of our model. Uh, now every client is a growth-driven design client, um, and if if they have their own inbound marketing team, you know that's fine. Uh, and we're transitioning kind of away from doing much project work at all. The project, if there is a, a site rebuild, uh, is just the first part of a longer engagement. Uh, and now finally in 2016, uh, that's pretty much our model for everyone. They, the customers' needs need to fit that model because that's the model that we're refining. Oh, Kevin, that's beautiful. The customer's needs need to meet that model. That's awesome. Um, so for folks listening who are not familiar with growth-driven design, can you give us a definition and an overview of what is that approach and what, how do you apply it through the sales cycle? Sure. 
So growth-driven design, and there's multiple schools of thought on this, just like almost anything, but growth-driven design from Kevin <laughs> means that we're going to take a lean, like a startup or almost testing type approach to validate our ideas and assumptions that go into everything we do, whether it's website or marketing. And then we're going to measure the performance of those ideas and assumptions and continuously improve upon them so that we're really never redesigning their brand again. We're constantly realigning it or evolving it. Uh, whereas, you know, basically what we do when we think about a waterfall type website is we build a website, we get a lift, we don't do much to it. Two or three years later, it sucks because the internet's changed and your website hasn't. Yeah. Um, and you have to redo a whole new website, which has a whole new set of assumptions that may or may not be optimized. Um, and then you, that gives you a nice lift, but you don't do much with it. And two or three years later, you got to do it again. Uh, Growth-driven design says, let's get to a solid starting point from which we can start testing and refining. So let's build a simpler, smaller site faster that gets you out of this old site if needed um, and onto a, a, a base platform, a, a launchpad site, so if, if you will, uh, to grow from. And then we prioritize on a month-by-month -month basis the highest return uh, ideas that we can implement. Um, and you know we set a hypothesis for what we think each idea will do. And we measure whether that, that new improvement, that new piece, that new page uh, is delivering on that hypothesis. And then we move on priority by priority uh, every single month uh, in terms of knocking out uh, things that we think will be effective in growing the business. That's awesome. When you're when you're in the kind of the planning phases for this, do you get pushback from clients who kind of want to have everything perfect before they launch it? Um, yes, um, it's really hard to position. Um, you can only be about halfway. You can't do halfway growth-driven design on the initial project. It's either we're committing to launch a site in this period of time for this budget with these features, and we're not going to entertain anything outside of that plan until it's live. Um, you know, that would be the best way to, to approach a Launchpad website. And, we, and what they have to simply understand is that this version, as a major stepping stone, is simply better than the one they have now. Gotcha. So every single delay, day you delay that launch costs them money. Um, and then by them understanding that we can go to market faster, you know, 60 days, 90 days, that includes strategy, includes new buyer journey, includes content. Um, and then you can start layering on all the really nice to haves and even should haves afterwards. Um, you know, understand that they're going to go to market quicker. Uh, it's going to get them traction faster. And, you know, ultimately, the details that delay a waterfall-style project from going live, oftentimes for a couple of months, tend not to be material to results. So if, if a customer can just embrace that, um, then they're a good candidate for growth-driven design. I don't think it's for everybody. Um, you know, I think a site that is absolutely killing it in traffic and leads probably will want to start evolving their current site versus tearing down to a launchpad site and building from there. So you have to apply the right solution to the right situation. Um, a launchpad site's not for everyone, but for a lot of brands that have a dated site, low traffic, low leads, and they want to apply inbound marketing, it's a fantastic way to arrive at a platform quickly. That's great. Um, when you're going through the growth-driven design process, how do you align um, like the ongoing inbound activity of you know blogging, uh, building out uh, your your flows there um, on the on the active ongoing side versus 
kind of what's what's happening on this on you know the core website pages how do you balance those two different tactics coming together sure um so we tried for about a year having this one budget that we pulled from for everything and what i found was um clients have great ideas and it is their brand but i felt like i didn't have enough control over where budget was spent yet i was being held accountable to the results okay um and uh, or I was holding myself accountable to the results, but if I don't get to execute my plan, <laughs> there's kind of a disconnect there, right? Uh, so what we do is we set up sp- separate budgets with our clients for uh, inbound builders, basically traffic builders, inbound drivers, basically lead generation um, and workflows, and build and in- inbound closers. And that way, we kind of know that we have an allocated budget to these three fronts that I will generally propose how we use. I or Ryan for my team uh, will propose how we use. And we make a separate budget for growth-driven design. That way there's somewhat clear lines on on how we're going to allocate budget. And I'll set up proposed priorities for each of those and make my case for why those should be the priorities. Um, Now, we do occasionally cheat. We're a little bit one-sided on this. We don't want the customer to pull budget from one area into another, but Mm -hmm. but sometimes we'll propose that we do it, you know, short-term for a specific goal, right? Uh, And those tend to have a real good reason. Uh, You know, if starting out, um, you know, they needed a little extra energy, like they have no offers, (laughs) maybe we'll pull from growth-driven design to get a couple of offers out there really quickly. Nice. So when, from an operation standpoint, do you guys have like a list of all the different deliverables that you offer in these three areas that you're kind of using that as a, almost like a playbook that you're operating off of? Or how do you, how do you price these things so that the client knows what they can, what, or even you internally, you know what you can pull from one budget and put into another? Right. Um, So here's what we do. We do kind of do the similar type of activities for each of our for each client right and it's only a question of pace so we we do the same thing we're really built for just a few key purposes growing traffic and leads right and then through inbound and then improving the brand experience um, through growth driven design so everything we do is built around those goals and the question is just whether we want to crawl walk run or fly in terms of how aggressive we we take it and we found that crawl sucks so we've eliminated that (laughs) Um, so so now just it doesn't enable us to be very effective so now it's just walk run or fly and and basically what that means in terms of you know uh where 80 percent of our clients live it's it's between six thousand and ten thousand a month uh is where most of our current clients are uh in terms of uh uh, you know inbound and growth driven design that's awesome so from from the client's perspective is there ever is there a confusion for them if you kind of have the, you know, the the design and the drivers separately? Is there a confusion at all in terms of what's happening on the strategy side or how are you maintaining the client's expectations as you walk them through this journey together? Are you meeting with them every week? Is it a monthly thing? How do you coordinate with them and figure out where things are going to go? Sure. So our uh, inbound is broken into quarterly campaigns. So we, we like to do campaigns around the quarter, uh, which details the blog posts, the offers, the nurturing, uh, and how it's all going to tie together so they can understand like not just every single gear. They don't have to understand every gear. They just have to understand where we're going, right? And we set yeah. clear goals for the quarter. We review that quarter to see if we hit those goals. 
Um, and you know that way they're kind of focusing on the top level uh, and we're focusing on what the exact plan needs to be, right? Uh, not that they don't help us, you know, maybe refine a, a blog title here and there, but, uh, but that's, that's kind of how we manage that. On the growth-driven design side, we set up monthly priorities. So once a month, we uh, and we groom the backlog would be Scrum speak, but uh, for client speak, it's we we set priorities for the next month um, of what we needs to be done and what our goals are. Gotcha. So as as you've been implementing this model, have there been any friction points, or what are some frustrations or challenges that have come out of this? Uh, there, there's a number, you know, this client, uh, that I had back in, uh, Q2 of last year asked me this really fantastic question. He's like, okay, you're lean labs and, and, and taking a lean approach is all about mitigating risk. And I'm like, true. And, uh, and he's like, so I'm sure you encounter some risks with engaging with clients. Can you tell me what they are and how you mitigate them? <laughs> and I'm like, that's a fantastic question. Can I record this? And he said, yeah. And, uh, so I recorded what kind of what he kind of got the of like, here's the stuff that consistently happens that makes us not able to do our best work. Um, and then what I did is I took that uh, recorded version and shot that out to one of the guys on the team and like turn this into a project risk management guide. And I'd be kind of happy to share that link with you if you want. Um, it's just basically the, the 12 or 13 things that we think that clients should be aware of before they even really engage with us at all, that if we start to, to drift into this area, we're going to be like, hey, you know, this is in the guide. We're, we're getting into a possible danger zone uh, in terms of the way that we're approaching this. And, and that has been probably the single-handedly best way to mitigate risk is to tell them what the problems are in advance of the problem. That's awesome. So they're, the prospects are responsible for reading this guide before you, before you kick off work together? Is that how it works? Yeah, basically, I asked for a signature that I I, I read this. Awesome. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Very cool. So you're def- you're just clarifying expectations up front so that the client knows here are the trouble areas that if if we're drifting in this area, that means that things aren't going the way they need we need to go. I love yeah. that idea. And by simply just kind of setting those boundaries up front, uh, <laughs> that's been the single best. And it's not like I don't still have you know some scope creep and I don't still have some excessive questioning or you know me giving some advisement and I'm still wanting to push back and having to have that conversation. I think that that will always be the case because you know they don't know what we know um and they think that we don't know what they know and sometimes we do and sometimes we don't right <laughs> yeah, <man>. <laughs> <laughs> um and uh and so there's always going to be that conversation of of coming to what the best plan is but in terms of project derailments uh this it's been a great help for us that's fantastic clarifying expectations is always helpful in all relationships uh so that helps you overcome sort of frustrations there now you guys were recently honored with uh, an award from HubSpot for a customer success story. Tell us a little bit about either that story or a recent case study, something that you're just proud of uh, that your team has delivered for a client. Sure. So uh, one of our goals um, is that we want to uh, we want to make our mark, and we always say that uh, our our success story is by you know creating customer success stories, right? Any inbound agency would say as such, and so. Uh, we were uh, runner-up for Growth Driven Design Agency of the Year last year um, as that program was just getting started out. We won an impact award uh, this last quarter for Growth Driven Design. And, and I think it's great because it's enabling that, – that actual 
event of being in there is, is really even helped me take this to other clients of like, this is why we need to follow this strictly. So uh, the, the case study that that was, you know, done over um, it is through integrate.com, which is a client that we worked with last year who already had a pretty great website. Okay. Um, they did like their designer, they have a designer there that does graphics and such for them. I mean, it had no, it had no visual problems. Uh, it had messaging and journey, journey problems. They're in a, uh, they're a, a platform unto themselves. Um, they're in a, a unique space where there's not a whole lot of easily identified competitors and therefore articulating what it is that they do and bring to the table is very, very difficult. Yeah. So that design project was really all around messaging. Um, messaging and buying journey to help someone understand what this new thing they've never heard of and didn't know what they're looking for is and how it's going to help them. So we replaced lots of brochure type links with the first nav link as problems we solve. That way, you know, if we can nail their problem and get agreement on that, we can then lead them to, rather than lead with the solution, we lead to the solution, right? Um, so that's really what that, that project was all about in a nutshell. Um, and as a result of that, we did increase their uh, lead conversion rate just on launching the new site, like something like 271%. It was actually quite a lot higher than that, uh, but they had uh, one particular offer um, that I'm pulling the stats out of because it was a pretty cool offer. <laughs> so I just pulled all of those leads out of that number uh, <laughs> because they did they did a collaboration piece that would have it would have showed unfair credit. So um, so anyways, but uh, yeah, bounce rate went down 65 percent and uh, the average views per session up 43 percent and total views up 200 percent and uh, organic search traffic rank. Uh, increase 33% out of the gate because we're focusing on problems that people could actually search and identify and crafting a buying journey for the site that led them to conversion points. Uh, what every site should do, right? Amen, dude. Start with the problems, start with the questions and guide them from there. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thanks. So what, what is the client's reaction been through, through this process? How do they react when, you came to them and shared this process with them? Um, I think they enjoyed the process. It doesn't make crafting really great content too much easier. <laughs> uh, that's still always you know, the wrestle, right? How do we make this great? Um, but the, the process that we go through of, you know, we initially establish a business model canvas, and that's for us to understand um, how their business works and who their customer is and what their problems are, uh, you know, in, in the, you know, unique value proposition and unfair advantage that they bring to their marketplace. Um, from there, we go into customer personas. Uh, and our truck customer personas are not the typical persona. They're really focused around triggers. So why would I search for this now? What's my problem? Uh, why would I act upon, you know, what I'm finding on this website? And why would I buy your service today? Like, what are nice. my triggers? Very, very trigger-driven customer personas, uh, as well as objections. Why would they not do it, and how do we overcome those? Um, so, uh, so anyways, that's where, where customer personas go. And then we end up with, what, three, four, five customer personas. So now uh, what we do is we create this value proposition map, which is based upon the book Value Proposition Designed by Lee Osterwalder. Um, but what we do is we, we have our own value proposition map. His is great. I kind of like mine better. Um, and, uh, we, we just kind of adapted that to, you know, uh, you can have as many personas as you want, but you have one homepage, right? So, uh, we need to prioritize on the key needs, wants, feelings, and fears of our target customer. 
and map a journey for them to, to touch on those needs, wants, feelings, and fears and lead them towards features, benefits, the experience after, you know, problem solved and overcoming any of those fears or objections. So that's what that value proposition map is about. From there, we kind of create the buying journey. That, I mean, what you've just laid out, this is a phenomenal picture into connecting not only the end result is going to be a beautiful website that creates new leads, but how do you get to that point? I think so many folks get stuck in getting the website absolutely perfect. So having all the pages out there, everything ready to go. And then also just on beautiful design. But what you've just laid out there, that process that you walk folks through, identifying who are we trying to go after, and then identifying what are the questions, what are the triggers that kick them down this research journey, and then what's the content that's going to be there to answer that. Kevin, that that is fantastic. I'm excited to I'm excited to see you guys are doing that, and I'm even more fired up that you guys are seeing great results from it. That's awesome. Yeah, and my uh, my favorite line that I just have to fit in here. Um, I've actually gotten pushback on this line, and that comes sometimes tells me when it's not a good client. Um, but uh, but I tell them that they're not my customer. Their customer is my customer. They just happen to be paying me to reach them. Wow. You know what I mean? Yep. So that kind of sets the tone for how we want to approach their website. Like, I'm not here to make your CEO happy. If he wants to sit over someone else's shoulder and design the website, he can. It just won't be our shoulder. That's awesome. You know? That goes back to expectations again, like that, you know, sending them that 12 point guide there. That is in there as well. Like you hired us to do a job. Now let us do our job. Yeah. I think that uh, maybe us being a little strong and lengthy and possibly long on the front end um, helps set the tone and the customers that are good fits for us are attracted to it. And the customers that are not good fits and they kind of, you know, I'm using my fingers as quotations, know what they need. Uh, they're repelled by it. Gotcha. Well, Kevin, you have opened the vault on a lot of, a lot of really good stuff here today. So thank you for coming on and just sharing this stuff. It's fantastic. I know folks listening are going to get a lot out of it. If anyone is listening and they have questions, follow up questions, what's the best way they can get in touch with you? Um, they can inquire, like if they can tweet us something, uh, on Twitter through our lean labs account, um, or, uh, if they want to reach out to me, they could just email me. Uh, it's Kevin at lean hyphen labs.com. Uh, if you have a question, just give me a little bit of context, like what's the problem and what's the goal so that I can give you, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, you know, something that, 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 that makes sense without the problem and the goal. Uh, it's hard for me to kind of answer a question. That's awesome. Well, Gavin, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your inbound agency journey. Thanks for having me. This episode of Inbound Agency Journey is brought to you by Do Inbound, the world's first project and process management tool built specifically for inbound marketing agencies. If you want to learn how to manage, track, and scale your inbound agency with a pre-built and proven system, visit doinbound.com slash journey. Again, that's doinbound all one word, dot com, forward slash journey. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. This is Gray jumping on with Andrew to recap the conversation he just got off of with Kevin. Dimmer, great. Uh, great interview. Always fun to hear from Kevin. I'm excited that he uh, was willing to come on the podcast and share his story. One of the things that stuck out to me, this was kind of from later on in the conversation, um, but I want to get to this, is the project risk management guide that they put together and the way that they use that. 
Um, but you guys touched on an awful lot of good things. And so from your perspective, um, what was the biggest takeaway from that conversation? Was there anything from that conversation that, uh, and you know, Kevin, um, and have, have worked with him for a while. Um, anything that surprised you? Uh, good question. I don't think anything surprised me. Um, one thing I love about Kevin is just he he's definitely committed to delivering great services to the client. And I think that the processes that they are developing down there, the agile processes that they use to kind of drive their development, their investment in growth-driven design, uh, and then that uh, project risk management guide I think is just – that exemplified. Um, what I love about that is it kind of takes a what can be a rocky point in a client relationship or a risky point, I'd say, and flips it on its head. Because traditionally, we think like as agencies, we're responsible for keeping things on track and keeping things moving forward. But in reality, we have there. You know, there are risks on both sides, and to lead with that and say, "Hey, if this is going to fail, this is why, and these are the things we need to pay attention to." I think it puts the agency in a point of authority from the beginning. And we talk a lot on here about using, leveraging your process in the sales process and using that to differentiate yourself from other agencies. What a great example that Kevin shared there on giving the client a warning up front on here is where things could fall through if they were going to. I loved it. Yeah. It reminded me, it's in way more detail. Um, but from a, uh, a game plan sales deck that I made a couple years ago at Guava Box and on one of the slides kind of before pitching the pricing and some of the other details um, of the game plan, walking through like the three main reasons why inbound fails and what, what it takes to avoid that and which kind of what's the order that those tend to, based on what the organization is like, what is the order um, of kind of like most common, what most commonly causes us to fail. And I think that what Kevin's done is they've really built that out in a ton more depth um, and given it in, not in a presentation, but in an actual document that you send over and, and require a customer to read. And I think that that combination of um, transparency, addressing the risks up front and the potential stumbling points and also assignment selling where they're being asked to do something as part of the sales and discovery process uh, is a really pro- powerful thing, and it, so it's cool to see that. I think that's a model that um, that a lot of folks could benefit from moving to. Yeah, I love uh, the agencies need to step up a little bit and put it, put things on the back of the client in some sense. Where if you want to hit these results, we have the technical expertise, the tactical expertise to get you there here are the things that you need to be paying attention to to make sure that we hit these things together. It's not, it's never going to be just hand us the reins. We'll take over. We'll run everything from here. But the more that we as inbound agencies can position ourselves as value adding through process, through clear expectations, the better off we're going to be. And assignment selling is a great way to do it. And I love the example that he shared here. I think it's, it's awesome, awesome stuff. Um, another cool thing that we hit on was just the growth-driven design push that they're going through there, Gray, uh, and how you know Kevin is actually helping lead webinars now with HubSpot, uh, just training folks on the growth-driven design process and on you know how to actually deliver that to clients. Did you have any takeaways or any thoughts there after they shared how they've been leveraging that strategy and how that's impacted their revenue and, and kind of the way that they're selling stuff today? 
Well, a couple of things that I wanted to mention here. One was um, in terms of helping to lead the charge in growth driven design and the evolution of what this is going to wind up looking like. I think that the more that you teach and uh, put yourself out there, look, here's what our process looks like or what we're thinking about, um, the more that you learn and benefit from that. So I think that um, it's always beneficial to teach stuff and put your ideas out there and they will be refined um, from that because you are subjecting that to feedback from other people and obviously uh, you're going to give that some attention. The other thing in terms of what Kevin mentioned about the services that they are offering now at Lean Labs, he said something like the customer's needs need to meet their model. And um, I think just being choosy about the customers who he brings in and figuring out what is the real need here. And a couple of different things. One is, is helpful for the customer, obviously, to make sure that they're going to be the right fit. But also for Lean Labs, not compromising um, their workload and the focus that they have by taking on clients just for the revenue when they're not really going to fit into uh, the model that they're trying to run with. So I think that that's uh, it's a delicate point early on in an agency's life, especially. And I think we all have some desire to grow. I know at various speeds, but there's always some desire to bring on new revenue. Um, so it's hard to have the discipline to figure out how to do that. But that that kind of focuses a recurring theme of the guests who we bring on the podcast here. So those are a couple of thoughts that I had there. Nice. I think it all goes back to just being selective in your sales process, bringing on the right type of partner for your agency. All revenue is not created equal. Being picky about the folks that you bring on. Look for those accounts where you can get on board with a vision and move together as a partner. And you can feel that out pretty early. But look for those types of folks and be willing to say no to the the clients that you just know are going to be a bad fit. I think, you know, with the expectations that Kevin works to set through the sales process and then understanding themselves enough to know who they're a good partner with and who they're not, those are two two marks of wisdom. And I think if we as agencies can adopt that, we are going to have a lot happier clients at the end of the day because we're working with the right people. And we're also going to live much healthier lives because we're not stressing over, uh, you know, bad client work all the time. So awesome stuff. I'm so glad that Kevin was able to come on. I had a great time chatting with him. Uh, if you guys have any questions for him, please reach out directly. He is a valuable member of the inbound community and I'm sure would love to chat with you. So thank you for taking the time to be with us here today to listen to this episode. Next week, we are excited to bring a conversation between Gray and Darren Davis from Link Caffeine's fun little chat around, uh, among other things, paid ads with inbound and how to leverage those two strategies together. So take a listen next week. If you have not already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Just head over to iTunes, search for Inbound Agency Journey and subscribe there so you can grab this content fresh before you can find it anywhere else. Thank you for listening to Inbound Agency Journey. You can find the show's notes for today's episode at doinbound.com slash podcast. Again, that's doinbound, all one word, dot com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, head over to iTunes to subscribe or leave us a review of the show. Until next time, remember, life is a journey. Keep moving forward.